Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. I thought he asked some really good questions. I hope he stays around because I'd like to kind of answer those questions. I like, do you think really you can advise God on how to run the universe? Don't you think God is too busy to pay attention to your little problems? I mean, who do you think you are that God would care about your little problems? I think those are good questions. And that's why I love this passage in Mark's Gospel about Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. He's not a VIP. He's a beggar. He's nobody. No one pays attention to a beggar. You know how it is. You walk down a street in San Francisco and you see beggars on the side and you pretend that you don't see them. You look the other way so there's no eye contact and you walk on by because you don't want to be bothered by another beggar. That's the way it was in Jesus' day. Everyone was pretending that Bartimaeus was blind. There's an irony in that Bartimaeus was invisible. There's an irony here that he was blind, but everybody else was pretending they too were blind and couldn't see him because they didn't want to be bothered again by another beggar. Everyone pretended he wasn't there except God that day. Jesus is passing through Jericho to Jerusalem. Let me give you just a little bit of context here. He knows that the crucifixion awaits him in Jerusalem. It's going to be little more than a week away. But he is intentionally, deliberately going to Jerusalem. Because it's the reason he came down from heaven. God came down from heaven to be born in a manger for the purpose of dying in our place on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. So he's intentionally going to Jerusalem because this is the reason that he came. In other words, Jesus has a lot on his mind. In the next week, all of prophecy, all of history is going to come to a head. But a blind beggar's prayer grabs his attention. His disciples want him to walk on by. But he doesn't. He stops and asks Bartimaeus this incredible question in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? And if you think about it, as I said in the scripture reading, his disciples must have thought, that's what a silly question. He's obviously blind. Obviously, he's going to ask you to give him his sight. But Jesus is really quite serious here. It's not a silly question. It's an open-ended question. He's suggesting that he sees bigger issues in Bartimaeus than just his physical problems. I wonder if he was a little bit disappointed with Bartimaeus' prayer. It's a good question. 
whether or not Jesus sometimes is disappointed with our prayers because we don't see the bigger issues in our life. Mark, though, wants us to know that a beggar's prayer, a nobody's prayer, stopped Jesus and grabbed his attention and Jesus answered that prayer. Remember, That in those days, people thought that if you were blind, it was a curse from God for your sin. So they saw him as an especially big sinner. Part of the stunning, how Jesus stuns them here is not only that he stops for a nobody, but he stops for somebody who's really obviously been cursed by God for his past. And part of what Jesus is saying here is, I don't care what your past is. I'll answer your prayers if you'll pray. The beggar says, heal my eyes, I want to see. And Mark wants us to see here that a beggar's prayer moved the hands of Jesus to do a miracle. On the spot, Jesus heals him. What I want you to notice is that Jesus doesn't come into Jericho on a search for Bartimaeus. He's not looking for Bartimaeus. He doesn't come into Jericho with the intention of healing a blind man. The question is, why does he stop and heal Bartimaeus? When there's so many other blind men in Jericho... And all over Israel. They were very common. Beggars who were blind. And he doesn't heal them. The only blind beggar that he heals is Bartimaeus. And the question is why? And of course the answer is is because Bartimaeus asked him to heal him. He prayed. What set Bartimaeus apart from all the others was he prayed. And that moved the hands of Jesus to heal him. Yogi Berra is one of the greatest catchers in baseball history and one of my favorite personalities. He was so funny. He he played uh, for the Yankees during their dream team years. And one of my favorite stories about him was uh, when he was in a playoff game, it was the ninth inning, there were two outs, and the batter, and the score was tied, and the batter who comes up steps into the batter's box, and with his bat, makes the sign of the cross on home plate. And Yogi, who was also a Catholic, takes his glove and erases the cross off a home plate, and says, let's just let God watch the game. (laughs) Let's just let God watch the game. Well, that's good biblical thinking in sports, because I hate to tell you this, but God really doesn't care who wins between the Raiders and the 49ers. Those are not issues of prayer. Even though what's ironic is you see both sides praying, praying during the game, don't you? But it's very poor thinking when it comes to life. Let God just watch is poor thinking. 
I think the Bible couldn't be any clearer in James chapter 4, verse 2, when it says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Could it be any plainer? Prayer moves the hands of God. People say what's going to happen is going to happen. The guy who was out here just a few minutes earlier said God is going to do what God is going to do, so your prayers are a waste of time. I can show you with three simple words that he's wrong. With three simple words, I can show you why I know that prayer changes things. With three Simple words I can show you and prove to you from the Scriptures that your prayers change the future and influence what God does. And those three simple words are these. Because Jesus prayed. That's why I know prayer is not a waste of time. If prayer was a waste of time, then why did Jesus pray? If prayer didn't affect anything, didn't affect what God was going to do, if prayer didn't change anything, then tell me why Jesus so often would go away alone to pray and often spent whole nights in prayer. Was he pretending? Was he faking it? Was he mistaken? With those three words, I tell you, prayer changes the future because Jesus prayed. Jesus practically begs us to pray, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Jesus is plainly saying those who ask receive things they would not otherwise have received. That those who knock, for them doors are open that would not have been opened. Why else then say, knock and the door shall be open? There is a condition that you knock. Your prayers move the hands of God. And what Jesus is teaching here is that God has given us the dignity of causality. The dignity of causality. He partners with us in so many ways. He says, go and feed the hungry. God doesn't need us to feed the hungry. He could do that himself. Go and visit the prisoners. God can handle that by himself, but he makes us partners in his good work on earth. And changing the darkness into light. And that's prayer. The dignity of causality. Because your prayers can cause things to happen. And cause God to do things that otherwise would not happen. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. God puts himself under the influence of our prayers. Not under the control of our prayers, but under the influence of our prayers. And that's why Jesus begs us to pray. 
Now, I know what many of you are thinking. Oh, that's just one proof text verse from the Scriptures, and it's too much to believe that my prayers, since I'm really not that great a person, would affect what God does. Well, let me show you Isaiah 38, where God told Hezekiah to get his affairs in order because he's going to die soon. And what does Hezekiah do? He pleads with God in prayer that he might have more years of life. And God, what does he say? I never change my mind. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. What's going to happen is going to happen. He says in verse 6, I have heard your prayers. I will add 15 years to your life. Prayer did that. It would not have happened except he prayed. In Exodus 32, God's people have just been delivered by God from the slavery of Pharaoh in Egypt. And what do they do? Well, they make a golden calf and begin to worship it. That's the kind of thanks God gets for what he's done for them. And God gets angry. And he says that he's going to destroy these people and start fresh with a new bunch. But Moses... Prays for mercy upon these people. And that God would forgive these people of their sin. And in verse 14, it says, So the Lord, what? Changed his mind and spared them. Prayer did that. That's my answer to the guy who says God's going to do what he's going to do. That's not what the Scriptures say. Calvin said God is unchangeable. That is, the theologians say it, immutable. God doesn't change. We get a little fuzzy and confused about this because Calvin said it is because God is unchangeable that he prays so much to God. What? (laughs) What? If God is unchangeable, then why do you pray? Because God's not going to change. That's where we get a little fuzzy. Calvin said that what is unchangeable about God is not his mind, but his character. Because the scriptures say God does change his mind on occasion. But what never changes is God's unconditional love, His kindness, His mercy, His justice. These parts or dimensions of God's character are unchangeable. And it is to that that our prayers appeal. It was to that that Moses appealed for the people, God, you are merciful, spare them. And God changed his mind and spared them on the basis of his unchangeable character. Not that his mind is unchangeable. And the same way with Abraham. You remember the story, God was going to destroy Sodom. Lot and his family were in there. So Abraham begins to bargain with God. He prays to God, if I can find just 50 Men who are righteous, will you spare Sodom? Yes. Okay, you are a merciful God. If I can find 40, you are merciful and gracious. Will you spare Sodom? Yes. If I can find 30, yes. 20, yes. 10, okay. 10. He couldn't find 10. 
But if he could have, God would have spared Sodom. Appealing to God's unchangeable character. That's what prayer does. It's the dignity of causality that our prayers can change what God does. A Gallup poll found that 94% of Americans pray. But it also found that few of us pray more than three minutes a day. It found that when we say we pray, mostly we're talking about arrow prayers that we shoot up from our bathtub or shower or in the car as we drive to work. You know, gimme, gimme, gimme prayers and it's over. And of course the reason is, Americans are too busy to pray. We all know that. So in my research this last week, I found some good news for all of us who are so busy that we cannot pray more than arrow prayers during the day. I found uh, the website of a company called Information Age Prayer, and you see it on the screen, www.informationageprayer.com. And what they offer you is that they have a computer that uh, has the ability for speech, and it, it, can, it does text to speech. And so for just $3.95 a month, you can have this computer every day say your prayers for you. <laughs> and here, if you click it on, there's a, to see the prayers, are, they got it for every religion here. There's the Protestant, the Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, unaffiliated, and other religions. They got you covered. Whatever you believe about God, they got prayers that are for that religion. And it costs extra if you're going to pray for the healing of people. That gets up to $21.95. But they have a daily Jewish package. They have a Hail Mary prayer package for seven cents a Hail Mary. They will do that for you if you're a Catholic. It would be interesting, wouldn't it not? for us to keep a daily log this next week of how we spend our time. Just write down every day how much time you spend talking on the telephone, surfing the web, replying to email, writing email, playing computer games, just hanging out, sports, watching movies, watching TV, just Write it all down. And also the three minutes a day that you pray. People say they're too busy to pray. And they are honest, honorable people. And I believe them. One of my favorite Lines from C.S. Lewis is this, reality is what is, plus what could be. That's reality. What could be if we prayed? Do you remember the story I told you once 
about a man who died and went to heaven and he was taken to this enormous warehouse that was four football fields long and two football fields wide and three stories to the ceiling. And it was stuffed with beautifully wrapped gifts, all of which had his name on them. He looked around and he said, why are... What are these gifts and why are my, is my name on all of the boxes? And the angel said to him, These are things that God would have done for you, but you never ask. Prayer is hard for me. I get paid to pray, but it is so unnatural. Because I have the metabolism and the attention span of a hummingbird. (laughs) And when I was at Oxford, a person said, well, you preach on Sundays, what do you do the rest of the week? (laughs) (laughs) My days often are 12-hour days. And you see, if I get on my knees and pray, that just makes them longer. That's why I fight to pray. I got too much to do. It's a fight for me. Why do I fight the fight? Because I don't want to get to heaven and to be shown a warehouse full of things God would have done for me, but I was too busy to pray. I don't want Jesus to come up to me and say, I told you to ask. I told you to knock. Why didn't you? There are some things the Bible says God only does if you talk to Him. If you talk to Him and ask. I know what you're thinking. I did and nothing happened. I got a lot of unanswered prayers in my life, and I want to know why. Well, that's next week's message. This week, we're only trying to make up our mind if prayer can change anything. And the first thing we see in the scripture this morning is that Jesus says, your prayers can move the hands of God, and there are some things that God does not do unless you pray. That's the first thing. The second thing we learn today is that the scriptures say that prayer changes the one who prays. Changes the one who prays. Shakespeare in his play Titus Andronicus gives Ophelia this great line. She says, we know who we are, but not who we could be. When I read this story in Mark's Gospel about blind Bartimaeus, I wonder if years later he regretted what he asked Jesus to do. We don't know the rest of his story, his life, but let's just suppose that later he got married. Let's just suppose he got married three times. 
And let's just suppose he got, he had children. And his relationship with some of his children was rocky. And, and maybe, just maybe, he had some attitudes and habits that created these problems for him. And just maybe, secretly, though, like most of us, he blamed everyone else for the problems in his life. Just maybe, secretly, down deep, he knew he had some issues that he wasn't admitting to other people. I wonder if ten years later, blind Bartimaeus thought back to when Jesus said, what would you like me to do for you? And it finally dawned on him, it was obvious I was blind. Why did he ask me that? Uh, Because Jesus saw there were bigger things in my life that needed to be healed than my eyes. And now I see more clearly what I wish I had prayed for. I could be wrong. I'm not minimizing the healing of his eyes. But could there be the possibility that Jesus saw these other issues and that's why he asked such an open-ended question? Do you see what I see, Bartimaeus? And could it be, I could be wrong, could it be that your prayers are disappointing too? Because you're just asking for physical stuff? When really there are much bigger issues, things that are broken in us that need to be fixed. Yeah, I think so. I think even our three minutes a day prayers are really not very perceptive. I think Shakespeare was on to something. We do not know who we are or who we could be. You see, prayer is meant to be a two-way communication. And I think part of the problem is a lot of us do all the talking and our prayers are mostly gimme, 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 gimme monologues. And that's why our prayers don't change very much. You know, if you ask Jesus for rent money because you're behind, if you were quiet and listened and gave him a chance to talk, he might say, let's talk about how money might come to you, but let's also talk about some of the choices you've made and some of the habits you have that have put you into this situation to have to pray this prayer. I'd like to talk to you about that. You know, maybe someone here has been praying for their husband to change or one of their children. If you would stop to listen as to what Jesus might want to say to you, you might hear him say, yes, I I need to work with your husband. But I'd also like to talk to you about your attitudes and some of the habits you have that are blocking my work in your husband's life. 
two-way communication. You ask, how do I know if it's God's talk, if God is talking to me and not just myself talking to myself? I just don't believe God would speak to me. It's a good question. And that's what I'm talking about in two weeks. <laughs> but today I only want to impress upon you that prayer will change us if we get beyond the monologues of gimme, gimme, gimme. And be quiet and listen. God will speak to you. As you know, I spent my summer sabbatical at Oxford University in England studying Shakespeare. And I know what you're thinking. Shakespeare, you've got to be kidding. He's totally irrelevant. But you're wrong. Shakespeare should be in the self-help section of Borders, not in the literature section. Because all of his plays are about our problems and the choices we have, and they are profound. For example, King Lear. King Lear is a play about Lear who's decided to relinquish his throne and retire at just the time his last daughter, his third daughter, is getting married. And the play begins with him giving a love test to his three daughters. And the love test is this. Which one of you loves me the most? Prove it, and I will give you the biggest share of my kingdom. And of course, from the start, it's a tragedy. Especially since Cordelia, who is his favorite daughter, by the way, refuses to participate because she says... You can't quantify or measure love, and for sure, you can't have a contest for which the, the winner gets the prize of land. That's not a test of love. And she's right, of course. It's a silly test. But she's also arrogant, and she's self-righteous, and kindness and mercy and understanding is nowhere to be found in Cordelia. Her father feels unloved. He's hurt because she won't participate and show that she loves him. And so he disinherits her and breaks off communication. And the tragedy is Cordelia actually loves him dearly. But he feels unloved, and feeling unloved is as damaging as actually being unloved. And surely many of you are in that situation today. You don't feel loved. If Cordelia could only see better. If she could see behind the offensive test and see that it's an old man with the fear of getting old and being left behind and becoming insignificant because now he's old and being forgotten. This is really about an old man who is going to leave his job, his throne. And he's wondering, if I don't have a job, if I don't have a position, who am I? 
You know, when I have a job, I am somebody. But if I don't have a job, who am I? Will anybody pay any attention to me? It's really an old, old, relevant question today, isn't it? What makes me important? That was behind the love test. He was insecure and afraid and needy. But Cordelia could not see that. All she could see were things to judge in him. So instead of seeing better, she is judgmental of him and critical. You see, this play is actually a plea for all of us to see better. To see things from the other person's point of view. To imagine what it would be like to be in their position. To imagine what it would be like to be going through what they are going through. To come from the kind of background they come from. To imagine the kinds of pressures they have. To to imagine the kinds of responsibilities and fears and worries that they have. To see better why people do what they do. Seeing better would avoid so many tragedies. Eventually, by the end of the play, Cordelia does see better. She sheds her self-righteousness and her arrogance. And she forgives her father for disinheriting her, for ruining her marriage, and for breaking off communication. She forgives all of that. And then in an unbelievable scene, she kneels before her father and she asks for him to bless her. Imagine that. What a change. And Lear reminds her of what he has done to her and says that she has cause to reject him. And then in a simple monosyllabic repetition, she says, no cause, no cause. She has plenty of cause. But she sees better now. She sees this old man and all of his fears. And she has developed compassion and forgiveness and understanding because she sees better. It is such an incredible change. No cause. No cause. Simply because now she sees better. I have a little dare for you, especially for those of you who are skeptical about prayer changing anything. And if you can find the guy who was up here earlier, tell him about this little dare. My dare is this, that for just 10 minutes a day, for the next 30 days, each day for just 10 minutes, to pray for two people you can't stand. People you have a hard time being around. 
People you avoid. People you are critical and judgmental. When you think of them, you are judgmental and critical. And you don't look forward to being around them. Pick those two people out. They may be at your office. They may be sitting beside you or you wish they were. They may be somebody in this church or your extended family. But pick two people that are hard for you to like. And to begin to ask God to help you see better to see good things that they do. Maybe they're good to cats. That's a start. <laughs> see good aspects about their personality. Begin to see some good dimensions of them. And then praise God for these good things about them. And then finally, pray that God would bless them. Bless them. Just 10 minutes a day for the next 30 days. Pray for people, two people, that it's hard for you to like. I dare you. I dare you. Two people, 10 minutes a day for 30 days. And then come and tell me that God doesn't change anything. And then come and tell me that God does not speak to you. I dare you. Pray with me. Lord, what I'm so worried about is that we hear messages but do nothing. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit... You'd now be moving in our heart to develop some new things so new things would happen in our life. We'd make some new pledges to you and to ourselves before we leave. And now, Lord, we give to you our offering just out of gratitude for you hearing our prayers every day. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of Dr. Mike from Compass Church in Salinas. We hope you're encouraged by his practical Bible-based teaching 